So before we dive into the sermon for this morning, I have a favor to ask of you. If you're worshiping here with us in person, uh, would you go ahead and take out this Easter invitation that you received? You should have received it in your bulletin and your worship folder as you entered in this morning. Go ahead and take that out. Take a look at the front side of that. And one more thing for you. I want you to take out your smartphone. Raise your hand if you have a smartphone. You got a smartphone? Some of us do. All right. If you have a smartphone, take it out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what I've done on the screen. I want you to take a photo of the outside of that invitation. Go ahead and open your camera app and just take a photo of it. Make sure you can capture all the info there. Got it? Good. Now, once you've done that, the next thing I want you to do is I want you to open up your Messages app on your phone and scroll through until you see a name of someone you know who needs Jesus or just someone who you'd like to maybe worship with in church on Easter Sunday next week. Someone who's local who might reasonably show up with you if you invited them. Scroll until you see a name. You got one? Once you have a name, what I want you to do is to insert that picture into that text message and write these words, I would love for you to come to church with me on Easter Sunday. It's going to be great. Can you do that? I'll give you a second. I see some of you are really doing it. That's good. You follow instructions really well. All right, now give yourselves a round of applause. You are world-class evangelists. Nicely done, guys. <laughs> Nicely done. For real, we have an incredible celebration planned for next week, and uh, I, I am truly, truly excited about it. But, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Today is Palm Sunday. Today marks the beginning of the events that lead us to the cross, that lead us to the empty tomb. And Palm Sunday is an important day. Palm Sunday was, I would guess for Peter, the disciple, the, the high point of his life of following Jesus. Peter, after all, was, was the most passionate and most earnest of Jesus' disciples. He, he, he knows down, down to his core and the very fabric of his being that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior King. He knows it. And now, on Palm Sunday, as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and people are waving palm branches, finally, everybody else is seeing what he's known all along to be true, that Jesus is the Messiah. And now, Jesus is going to initiate his kingdom. For Peter, this had to be, this must have been the high point of his life of following Jesus. This moment of Jesus entering into Jerusalem is so important. Every first century Jew had grown up reading the scriptures, memorizing the stories. They knew that at some point God would send a saving king to rescue them. And that when the saving king arrived, he would liberate them and free them. And their shouting of Hosanna, which means save us, and their waving of palm branches is their way of saying, we think you are the one. Let the liberation and the rebellion begin today. We are with you. Save us. Hosanna. Save us. This had to be the high point of Peter's following of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, what's on your highlight reel? Think about it for a second. What are the moments in your life of following Jesus where you say, yes, this is what I signed up for? He's given me exactly what I wanted. He's meeting all my expectations. Maybe it was the moment you, you met that spouse that you've been praying for or, or had that firstborn child that you've been praying for 
or gotten to that college you were hoping for. Or maybe for you, it's, it's every time crude oil hovers around 90 bucks a barrel. That's on your highlight reel. What is it for you? You see, all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have expectations that we attach to our faith in Jesus. We have things that we want him to do, that, things that we want him to accomplish, things that we think, man, if, if you really are who you say you are, then this, this thing is going to happen for me. We all have expectations. And sometimes when those expectations are met, nothing is better. But then there are moments where our expectations explode. There are moments where the desired outcome that we've been rooting for doesn't manifest, where our hopes disintegrate. Have you ever been there? You see, Peter's high with Jesus turned very quickly to a low with Jesus. You see, there's a script that this whole thing of Jesus entering Jerusalem is supposed to follow. Peter knew it, and everybody else knew it. Certainly, Jesus knew it. The prophet Zechariah said that the, the saving king would enter the holy city on a donkey. Check, that's happening. It then said that the saving king in Ezekiel would head to the temple where he would do something glorious. And where does Jesus head after he enters Jerusalem? He heads right to the temple. But that's where things start to change. Look again at the Gospel of Mark. This is what happens. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Siri is looking up Mark chapter 11 for me on my phone. That's helpful. <laughs> Let me read that one more time. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus was supposed to do something glorious in the temple. He was supposed to immediately establish his throne and from the temple in Jerusalem begin the rebellion, begin the liberation, start reigning from the temple and show his power. But what does Jesus do? Mark puts it clearly. He walks into the temple and he looks around and he's like, ah, you, you know, it's late. And he leaves. No, no show of power, no, no establishing his throne, no immediately pushing out the Roman authorities, which is what they what all wanted him to do. Nothing. He just says, you know what? It's getting late. I'm tired. We've spent a whole day like riding on donkeys and palm branches, that whole thing. Let's just go to Bethany and call it a night. And I guarantee, I guarantee at that moment, Peter knew. He knew he was going to be disappointed. Jesus didn't show any power. He didn't really show any interest. He didn't do anything in the temple. And I guarantee Peter knew he was going to be disappointed with Jesus. You see, around the time that Jesus was teaching, history tells us, in fact, a historian named Josephus tells us that there were about 10 to 12 other self-proclaimed messiahs who had appeared. Radical rabbis just like Jesus who, who claimed to be that saving king. They had disciples. 
just like Jesus. They talked about the arrival of the kingdom of God, just like Jesus. They talked about salvation, just like Jesus. Several of them even entered into Jerusalem on a donkey with people waving palm branches, just like Jesus. And history also tells us that almost all of them died a violent death at the hands of the authorities. And that, I guarantee it, was Peter's worst nightmare. Don't just die like the rest of them. Don't show up to the temple and do nothing like the rest of them. Don't be a failure like the rest of them. Be different than all of them. And so when when Jesus shows up, with the attention of the authorities on him because he's entered in as if he's the saving king. And now Rome knows that he's there when he enters in and he goes to the temple and he does nothing, Peter knows. Oh, he's just like all the others. He's going to die. And sure enough, fast forward just a couple of days later, Jesus is getting arrested. And Mark chapter 14 tells us this. When they saw Jesus getting arrested, they all left him, they being his disciples, including Peter. They all left him and they fled. And then later, when Jesus is in custody, facing trial, Peter is confronted about his association with Jesus. And listen to what he says. He says, I I don't know this man. I don't know this man. Jesus seems to be failing, and so they all flee, and Peter denies. And and let's be very, very honest about ourselves. When Jesus seems to be failing us, when we go from the highs to the lows, when we go from the highlight reel to the things we don't want to talk about, the disappointments, the unmet expectations, our faith starts to get real flimsy too. It gets easy for us to feel like we want to flee. It gets easy for us to imagine denying because we say, this is not what I signed up for. Just like Peter, our faith gets real flimsy. When it seems as though Jesus is failing us or disappointing us, our faith feels as though it's going through our hands. It's falling between our fingers. It is falling apart. And I know that if you and I were to spend some time together, we could trade stories about moments where it's felt like that for me and for you. Maybe for you it was the moment where your spouse said, I don't want to do this anymore. Or when you found out that your spouse was cheating. Or maybe for you it's just been the last year where where you have not been able to spend nearly as much time with your grandchildren that you wanted to because of COVID or or you've watched your your client base just like disappear because of the pandemic or or you have seen recurring health issue after recurring health issue or your your child who used to have a great relationship with you suddenly wanting nothing to do with you and this is not what you prayed for. This is not what you expected. This is not what you thought following Jesus was all about and suddenly your faith feels real flimsy. Your faith feels real weak, doesn't? it. You are just like Peter, and so am I. But here's what I want to remind you of. In those moments where Jesus seems to be failing us, he is up to something greater than we can imagine. He's up to something bigger than we can begin to wrap our minds around in full. You see, what what Peter couldn't yet see is that by failing Jesus was actually winning. You and I have the benefit of hindsight. We're on the other side of the empty tomb, right? 
But Peter wasn't there yet. He couldn't see that by failing Peter's expectations, Jesus was actually winning a much bigger battle. See, Jesus didn't show up to, to upend the Romans. He showed up to liberate humanity from sin and death. That's what he came to fight. And that's why he was, he was crucified on a cross for your sin. That's why he, he rose out of your grave. He has liberated you from those things. He has hosannaed you. He has saved you from sin and death. It has no claim over you anymore. And what he came to rule and reign through is not is not a building made with bricks. What he came to rule and reign through is his resurrected and ascended flesh and blood. What he came to reign through is his community of believers called the church. And he is reigning and ruling right now above us and through us. He has kept every promise. That's what Jesus Christ has accomplished. That's what he's been up to that Peter couldn't see. Not to mention in the process of failing Peter, Jesus was doing a work in and through Peter. Do you know what he was doing to Peter? It's the same thing he does to you when your disappointments mount, when your expectations all erode. You know what he was doing to Peter? He wasn't failing Peter. He was refining and refocusing his faith. He was refining and refocusing his faith. And that's not my take on what was going on. That is, in fact, Peter's take on what was happening. If you fast forward 30 years from this moment, Jesus has, has long since resurrected, ascended, and been, been reigning at the right hand of the Father, and the Christian church is now growing, and Peter is in charge of it. And people from around the known world are, are filled with faith in the resurrected Jesus. And yet there's persecution, intense persecution that would ultimately claim Paul, ultimately claim Peter. New believers are being killed for what it is that they believe about the resurrected Jesus Christ. And, and so Peter, Peter writes to them, talk about disappointment and disillusionment. I didn't sign up to die for following Jesus. And so Peter writes a letter to them. And as I read his words to you, I want you to be mindful of the fact that it's not just a pastor talking to his people. It's a man speaking from personal experience about things not going the way you expected, but having to trust that God is up to something greater. Listen to what he says. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 3. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope, a hope that cannot be shaken or taken from us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In this, the resurrected Jesus Christ, you rejoice. You don't rejoice in your circumstances. You don't rejoice in, in the outcome of all your expectations. You rejoice in the fact that Christ is resurrected. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter knew what it was like to be grieved by various trials. To what end? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it too is tested by fire, 
The genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Father has given you something in which to place your hope that can't be shaken and it cannot be taken from you. And in your struggles and in your disappointments, he is refining that faith and refocusing that faith so that it is focused on and anchored in one thing and one thing alone. Jesus Christ. Crucified for you. Resurrected for you. God is not failing me. He is refining me and refocusing me. Let me say that again. God is not failing me. He is refining me and refocusing me. I think that's so important that we should say it together. Say it with me. God is not failing me. He is refining me and refocusing me. One more time so it sticks with you. God is not failing me. He is refining me and refocusing me. That's what God is up to. When your expectations don't pan out, I get it. It feels like your faith is dying. And maybe that's because that's exactly what is happening. But it's not your faith in Christ that's dying. It's your faith in the outcome that you had held above him. It's your faith in your circumstances. It's your faith in your expectations that your life would look a certain way or, or, or that you would have a certain amount of success or that you would avoid a certain level of pain. God is happy to let your expectations die. He is happy to let your faith in certain outcomes die so that your faith in a certain someone would increase. Very often, our faith is more in a certain outcome than that certain someone, and God is happy to let your faith in secondary things pass away. And in your disappointments and in your outcomes that don't manifest, what do you think God is doing? He is refining your faith so it's not in that thing, but it is in his son. He is refocusing your faith so it is not in your expectations, but it is in the resurrected Jesus Christ alone. This is why it's so important to have people in your life who know Jesus and who know you. It's important to have people in your life who, when your expectations and the outcomes that you had planned fail you, they can look at you and they can say, look, your faith, my faith, is not in any outcome. It is in the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he is still risen. He's still accomplished everything he's promised. He still will follow through on everything he's promised to. You're fine. I'm fine. We're going to be okay. That's what happened to Peter. A few days after Jesus had risen from the dead, his buddies took him fishing. His buddies took him fishing, and, and, and Peter was still beside himself with the fact that he had denied Jesus, the fact that he had turned his back on the one that he had so fervently followed. 
His buddies took him fishing, and undoubtedly they were talking about what Jesus had accomplished, and they were processing it and talking about seeing him risen from the dead. And I would imagine that Peter was still inconsolable, thinking, yeah, but you didn't do what I did. They take him fishing, and who appears to him? The resurrected Jesus appears to him. The resurrected Jesus appears to Peter and he gives to Peter the very grace that he had won for Peter and for you and for me and for the whole world. He gives it to Peter and he restores him. And he lets Peter, standing in that grace, gaze upon the resurrected Lord and he anchors Peter's faith, not in any outcome. He anchors Peter's reality, not in the mistakes of the past, but in the resurrected, grace-filled Jesus Christ. And that man then became the head of the church. That man. Who's going to take you fishing? You need faith-filled friends. You need people who will point you back to the resurrected Jesus. Who do you need to take on a trip so you can point them back to the resurrected Jesus? It's also why you need to be in church, like here, physically. Like, I know I'm biased. I know I got skin in that game. I get it. But I believe this. If you're watching online, I'm so thankful that we can offer this to you. But for some of you who are watching online, you could be here. And I say that not to put any guilt on you whatsoever. But if you can be here, you need to be here. You need to be here each week so you can bring your empty hands and your empty heart. You can bring your shattered expectations. And you can, surrounded by other people who know the Lord, surrounded by other people, you can lift them up to the Father. And he can tell you, that Jesus Christ is still resurrected for you. I want you to be here with us next week on Easter. And I want you to think about all the disappointments of the year that's gone by. Do you have disappointments in the year that's gone by? I do. Do you have expectations that didn't manifest in the year that's gone by? I do. Do you have, do you have, do you have a pile of regrets a mile high? I do. I want you to bring those things with you into this place. I want you to drag them with you and your pretty clothes on Easter. Bring all that stuff with you here and throw them at the feet of the resurrected Jesus and then watch as he trades your sorrow for dancing. And join with us as, as we sing in flesh and blood about a Savior who's risen with flesh and blood. And we join with billions of other people, including Peter, as we say, I thought you were failing me. But you were just refining me and refocusing me on this. A resurrected king. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, people threw their coats on the road. It was, a, it was a relatively common thing in the first century when a king would arrive on horseback or, or donkey even for people to take their coats symbolically and throw them on the ground. Well, they didn't symbolically throw them. They really threw them, but it symbolized something. The, the coat, the outer garment, as Mark calls it, it represents your well-being because your outer garments protect you from the elements, right? 
keeps you safe, keeps you warm, keeps you protected. And by taking off that outer garment, that outer layer of protection, and throwing it in the road at the feet of the coming king, you were saying, my well-being is wrapped up in you, not this. My well-being is wrapped up in you. Trod on my other sources of security, king, because I'm with you. Very often, and I know this is true for me, very often my expectations of how I, God want, how I want God to act, the things I need him to do, they are my outer garment. I think my expectations, if manifested, they're going to keep me safe, they're going to give me peace, they're going to make me whole. And so I wrap myself in them and I cling to them tightly. But then life happens and my expectations fall to the ground. And at that moment, I have a choice. Do I pick it back up and wrap myself up in it again? Or, follower of Jesus, or follower of Jesus, will you throw it back down and let the true king Trample on your expectations, trod upon your desired outcomes, not because they don't matter, but because you know that your well-being and your security and your wholeness and your peace is not in this, but in him. Lord, I lay my expectations at your feet. And I choose to believe that you are not disappointing me, but you are refining me and up to something greater than I can possibly fathom or imagine, just like you were with Peter, just like you were with all of us. So trod on my expectations, Lord, and anchor my hope and my peace in the cross from which you reign and the empty tomb from which you rose. Amen. More next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that very often we place certain expectations and outcomes above Jesus in our lives. And we say that our lives don't exist to serve him, but he exists to serve these expectations and these desired outcomes for our lives. And when those things don't manifest, we get shattered, Lord, into a million pieces and we feel like all is lost. But Father, help us to remember that you, you are simply refining and refocusing us on that which can truly save and truly help. And that is your son, Jesus Christ alone, who he is and what he's done for us. We pray this week as we head towards the cross and the empty tomb that you would anchor our hearts and minds deeply in the hope that is living and cannot be stolen from us. We may lose everything, but in the end, he will be risen. He will be risen indeed. Hallelujah.